0: Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I'm your host, Shane Bacon, and uh, obviously an exciting time here at Fox. It's finally U.S. Open week. We've been waiting for this week all year long. Obviously, had a great time at Wingfoot with the four ball, but we are at Oakmont ready and roaring. Uh, So excited to be at a place, obviously hosted a ninth U.S. Open. That's a record. It is an amazing, amazing golf course. If you haven't seen my piece yet on foxsports.com, make sure you go check it out. I wrote something the day after I got to play it back in April, just basically summing up my thoughts on Oakmont, my thoughts on the type of golf course and championship style place and facility that it is, what makes it so hard, what makes it so interesting, and what you should expect to see this week. So I wanted to jot all that down. I did it the day after I played, so a month and a half or so ago, but uh, clean it up a bit. That's up on foxsports.com backslash golf uh I will have a lot of stuff pumping out there all week long. I'm doing a big mailbag that's US Open specific, uh doing three shots that'll doom your round, which obviously is any golf shot at Oakmont, but I tried to narrow it down to three golf shots. Also, had a really fun time putting together a piece of the best golf logos of clubs around the United States. That should hit on Wednesday. So, keep your eye out, you know, bookmark that page if people still bookmark pages online. Of course, uh you can get a hold of us if you need at uh, at the Clubhouse Pod on Twitter. You can hit me up at Shane Bacon, and you can use the hashtag ClubhouseSB if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, et cetera, anything there. Anything longer, lengthier, or really any feedback you have, you can shoot an email to us at the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon at gmail.com. Uh, just a couple household things, uh, just so you're ready. You're set on your DVR this week starting Thursday and Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, we will have live golf on FS1 until 5 p.m. Eastern where we switch it over to Big Fox, take you all the way to dinner somewhere around 8 p.m. Eastern. Of course, that's not it. You can watch live streams of featured groups. There's going to be two featured group streams, featured whole streams as well. That's going to start at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. So obviously you're going to have a full day of watching golf Thursday and Friday. Call in sick. It's fine. You can get a pass. It's U.S. Open week. It's Oakmont. I think that's obviously completely okay with everybody, especially if you're an obsessive golf fan like myself. Of course, the streams are going to be on Fox Sports Go, USOpen.com, the US Open app, and they will stream all of those along with some of the broadcasting coverage as well. Saturday and Sunday, we go live on Fox at 11 a.m. Eastern. That's Big Fox, as do the live streams, so make sure you've got all of that ready. Get all your errands done, get your artwork done, get all that stuff. If you're going to go hit some range balls, obviously go fairly early. I mentioned some of the pieces that we're going to have up on FoxSports.com. Today, uh, I was lucky enough to have Bob Ford stop by the clubhouse for a little bit, uh, obviously the 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 legend that is bob ford uh this is his last year as the head pro at oakmont he's going to spend the rest of his time at Seminole. he's been splitting up his years obviously at those two golf courses tough life you know i mean oakmont Seminole, which one are you gonna pick but he's been there since i mean since johnny miller shot 63 i mean he, he has been at oakmont he's been the face of this golf course and the voice behind it he knows everything you could ever know about oakmont it's amazing just sitting around listening to him talk so i asked him some stuff about the golf course about you know his days there. Uh, I asked him some, some of the you know legends that follow Oakmont around. Is it really harder when the members are there than it is U.S. Open week stuff like that? He was really interesting to talk to. I asked him who's the most famous person he's played golf with. So uh, he'll be up here in just a minute. Um, I also jumped on the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, you can check that on iTunes and, and Google Play, all that good stuff. Uh, I talked with Chris Solomon for 45 minutes or so. We just went over some U.S. Open stuff, some of the things I'm going to be doing this week. At Oakmont, which will be the interviews when the guys walk off the golf course, plus some other fun stuff as well. So, go check that out. It's a it's a great little podcast. Um, he uh, he does a really good job with it. And there's some good golf podcasts. I'm telling you, it's not a it's not a complete joke. And and before we get to Bob Ford, I'm not going to do any of the questions because I said I have a big mailbag coming out. But I did want to look at some of the uh, the pairings. Just because I find some of them extremely interesting. The USGA obviously puts together some fun names at times, and uh, they obviously did it again this year. My favorite pairing initially when I looked at it, you get Bubba Watson and Patrick Reed together mixed with a little Matt Kuchar. So really a, a kind of a spectrum of personalities there. And obviously uh, Davis Love III will be keeping an eye on that pairing. Obviously three players that could definitely make the Ryder Cup team. At 8.13 on Thursday, the Beatles group goes out. All former number one players in the world, Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, Matt, Martin Keimer. Uh, you know, you, you look at that. Obviously, Keimer's got the two major championships in the Players' Championship. I was talking uh, to a friend of mine about Martin Keimer uh, earlier this week. He's going to probably be the most underrated player to ever make the Hall of Fame because he's already got two majors. He's played on a number of Ryder Cup teams. He has the Players' Championship victory as well. He's going to make it. He's going to captain a Ryder Cup team at some point, most likely. I just find it interesting because when we look at a lot of these players, the the Jason Day has one major. Adam Scott has one major. We forget that Keimer has two. Obviously he won that PGA Championship kind of in a a weird way, but still had to beat Bubba Watson before Bubba was Bubba. But the way he won that U.S. Open at Pinehurst, I mean, he dominated it. And he won that the same season he wins the Players Championship. This is a guy that has a a pretty impressive resume if you look at it. Going to go, I think he's going to go under the radar when he makes that. But That'll be a fun little pairing. Rory, Danny, Willett, Ricky Fowler draw plenty of attention, as will Jordan Speed, Zach Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, three of the last five major champion winners in that uh, that grouping as well. Played together with the Masters. DeChambeau was neck and neck with Jordan Spieth for 35 of the 36 holes. I mean, really, until he blew up on 18 on Friday. He showed why the hype is real. So it'll be interesting to see him now as a pro, Playing alongside Jordan Spieth, who I think is probably the favorite going into Oakmont just because of the way he's rolling the ball and really the way he kind of closed out Colonial, I think will give him obviously plenty of confidence going in. And as I look at the groupings, the first two rounds, uh, you know, the obvious one you'd look at for what could produce a champion would be Jason Day, Adam Scott and Louis Tazen. But I don't think I'm going to go that I'm leaning towards the grouping, the pairing of Hideki Matsuyama, Sergio Garcia and Dustin Johnson where I think the champion could come out of if you're looking at three names. I just feel Dustin's obviously got the ability to hit the golf ball, hit it high enough to play this golf course. Sergio's playing great, seems to be really happy in his life, seems to be confident. I don't know if a U.S. Open is what Sergio will win if he does win a major. I think it would be a British Open most likely, but you never know. I mean, he's played some great golf this year. You can hit us up on Twitter. Use that hashtag Clubhouse SB. let us know who you think, which grouping you think the champion will come out of those first two days. Look at the list, pick one, send it in to us with that hashtag. you can you at can add me at add Shane Bacon you can at the, the clubhouse pod. What I will do is if you pick it correctly, if the winner comes out of your grouping, I'll look over them and I'll randomly pick one person and I'm going to send you a little something that'll be kind of fun. I'll send it out next week, so I'll grab something from Oakmont and send it out. So make sure you get that in. Use the hashtag clubhouse SB. Let us know which pairing you think the winner is going to come out of those first two days and get us to us before play obviously starts on Thursday. And really that's it. That's, that's what we're going to do. I mean, I am, I am in Oakmont. I am, I am ready to go. I'm going to be uh, out on the range throughout the week, talking to players, getting ready, getting set for interviews when the when play gets going. And that's that. So next up, Bob Ford. I mean, he is a, a legend, obviously played at a U.S. open at Oakmont finished tied for 26. That absolutely incredible stuff. And a really interesting conversation with really, uh, Probably the most famous and most legendary club pro in the history of golf. So, let's get going. And very honored to welcome into the clubhouse Bob Ford, 37 years at Oakmont as the head pro. That's pretty crazy, Bob. 37 years. Well, that's a long time, Shane. And, uh, you know, it just seems like yesterday,
1: quite frankly. It doesn't seem that long. It's never felt like uh it was troubling, and uh, I didn't even know it.
0: Uh, so I wanted to take uh you back for a minute um to the f- the first open you worked I, and, and I believe you were there the first month in nineteen seventy three obviously when Johnny Miller shot that historic sixty three I was reading a a book about Oakmont and it mentioned that that you were as a lot of people were uh almost disappointed because everybody was rooting so hard for all Arnold Palmer to win that to win that open to win the one by his home uh can you take us back and just really um, not just walk us through the emotions that were going through you, but the emotions that were going through the crowd, not only with Arnie tied for the lead going into that final round, but the inevitability when it did seem like it wasn't going to be that open win for Arnold Palmer that everybody had hoped for.
1: Well, I would tell you that everybody was in shock. Uh, everybody was in shock for two reasons. Number one, that Miller did what he did for the golf course. And granted, it was soft and wet out there, but, you know, there were only three scores under 70 that day. Obviously, he had the 63. So everybody was in shock that that was, you know, the case. And then shocked that Arnold didn't win. I mean, you know, Arnold got beaten 62 by Jack, obviously, in the famous playoff. And here he comes back 11 years later. Looks like he's going to win again. Looks like he's got it in his pocket. He hits it about four or five on number 11 to go to 5-under or 6-under and, uh, you know, misses the putt and looks up at the leaderboard and sees John Miller at the house at 5-under. And it just just everything, just the emotion came out of him. I mean, the energy came out of him. He bogeyed 12, and he knew that was it. He knew, knew he wasn't going to win again here at Oakmont. And everybody was, It was another sullen time, you know, from about the 11th hole on, with like the last two hours of the championship. It was uh, very depressing.
0: And you mentioned that you, you – we were talking to the head pro at the time and said that can't be right. They must have run out of black uh, numbers because they kept putting up red number after red number for Miller. I mean, is in, in your time there, is that the most unbelievable thing that you've been a part of, somebody going out there and putting up that type of number in that type of environment on this type of golf course?
1: Well, Shane, I'm, I'm embarrassed that that – story's true. <laughs> 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 I was 19 years old at the time in college, and uh, I was obviously very naive, and I, I actually thought that they had run out of black numbers, because all they were putting up for Miller was, was red, and I said that to Mr. Warsham, who was the professional here at the time, and, and uh, he said, no, son, uh, he's making birds out there. And I was just shocked. I was in awe. It uh, can't possibly be true. And, uh, on a Sunday round of the U.S. Open, that somebody would do that, but yeah, that, that's a true story.
0: And, you know, going from obviously from 73 to 83, uh, really, I would say your crowning achievement probably as a golfer was playing so well in that U.S. Open yourself. I mean, you know, people know you finished, uh, I, I believe, did you finish high for 26th? It's, it's the low uh, by a club pro since 1959. Nobody's even made it into a U.S. Open field as a, as a club pro since then. Uh, did, what were your expectations going into to that U.S. Open? Obviously, knowing you were going to be in the field. Did you feel like you could compete? Were you just trying not to embarrass yourself? I mean, a lot of probably emotions were going through your head before that started, and then to have such a good week after. Uh, what did you think headed in? Is kind of your goal?
1: Well, it's a good call. You know, I think "young dumb" is a pretty good statement. <laughs> I
0: think
1: that uh, you know when you're when you're young, you just don't think about uh, as many things as you think about as you age. So. I mean, today I would think about oh my god, I couldn't possibly go out there; it'd be so embarrassing. But you know, back then you're kind of young and dumb, and I, I certainly didn't think I could compete and making that and playing as well as I did on the weekend was way over my head. But uh, you know, I, obviously, you know, I qualified maybe a week before the Open, and uh, got a little nervous that week, and I decided to go and get hypnotized so that I could try to, you know, keep the. You know and on the pro show concession that week and, and all the things that came under our wing and and, and i was going to have to play on top of it and you know how would i handle or compartmentalize all those things to do and and so i got hypnotized i think it helped me a lot i got to the first tee i got my elevator and uh, had a different set of clothes on and all of a sudden i, I was a golfer instead of a, an administrator so you know, it worked out well for me. Actually, the E to it, you know, I played practice rounds on Tuesday with Nicholas and Weisskopf and Mead, and on Wednesday with Arnold and Drenshaw, Miller, Barbancy, Tito. And, and uh, you know, by the time Thursday came around, I wasn't so nervous, having played with those legends earlier in the week. So I think that helped me a great deal.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever heard of the, the hypnosis working for a golfer. I'd like to know if other people have ever done that. I, I, I never thought to go do that myself. I kind of like the approach. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, you go, hey, listen, convince me I'm not on the golf course. I think that's probably a, a good yeah. call. And, and you said, you know, young, young, and dumb. And it was a question I was going to ask you a little later, but I wanted to ask you now, I guess, is do you feel like experience is incredibly important for these players at this U.S. Open, or do you just feel like it's going to be a guy that goes out there and golfs his ball the best? Because we've seen, obviously, Arnold Palmer compete here a lot, wasn't able to win. Uh, We see Angel Cabrera win a U.S. Open over names like Tiger Woods and Jim Furyk, you know, who obviously didn't have a lot of experience on this golf course, and Ernie Els wins in his second ever start at a U.S. Open. Do you feel like experience is important at Oakmont, especially at this U.S. Open, or do you think it's a bit overrated and it's just about who's playing the best golf?
1: Jane, you know, I I used to think that it was really important. I used to tell the press every time that the issue came up that it would be somebody that had a lot of experience here. And I'm here to tell you that most of our champions uh, that have won here at Oakmont never stood on the property until Monday of the championship week. (laughs) So, you know, Cabrera was never here. Els was never here. You know, Cabrera wasn't a young man when he won, but Ernie was. And it, it takes young nerves, you know. And, uh, you know, we've got this kid uh, playing for the Panthers tonight in Game 5 for the Stanley Cup. He's 21 years old and came in, and he's just been a rock. And I I think that, you know, the young nerves are, you know, really important. And you've got Jordan Spieth, who's 22 years old, already has the U.S. Open and a Masters under his belt, and uh, somebody like that. You know, Jason Day, these young kids. I think you get in your 30s and 40s, I, I think, you know, things like the U.S. Pokemon are a little bit past you, so I, I would be very surprised if it wasn't a young guy.
0: So you feel like the, the golf course demands ignorance almost because if you're if you're not totally sure of all the issues that you've had, it, it's a little bit like a, a, a member at a golf course who's who, who looks at a hole and thinks, I've made a lot of big numbers on this hole before, and there's a lot of people that think, you know, <laughs> I've birdied this hole a lot before, I almost feel like the, the difference in maybe a good player's mentality and, and maybe a regular golfer's mentality, but I wanted to kind of focus a little bit on Oakmont itself and ask you first, because I saw a video of this, will you explain what porch putting is?
1: (laughs) Well, it's kind of a tradition here for a lot of our, you know, invitationals and member-member and things like that. that Our porch is right above the uh, practice putting green, and we put down to the, you know, as you know, the ninth hole and the putting green are all one green, so the green's like, you know, 100 yards long. And, uh, so we put a pin down on the regular green and we put some porch and kind of closest to the pin takes a my And it's been a real fun, uh, fun thing for the club here.
0: Have you seen anybody hole it before?
1: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a lucky kind of thing, but kind of like a hole in one, you know, but yeah, absolutely. We have.
0: Does the, uh, does the, does the whole, uh, the whole group of people just go completely crazy when, when, when somebody either, either gets it inside of a couple of feet or actually makes it?
1: They do. You know, we, you know, actually, uh, last week we had, uh, the drug spot here and we had Nicholson and Adam Scott and, 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 George, uh, Rory McIlroy do the porch cutting. And, and the first time in my career here that I can remember, you know, Rory pulled out a couple of wedges and decided to, you know, they couldn't stop it on the shelf on the left. So, cause it was so fast. And it was a little downwind. It just came, even though it was trickling, it ran, they kept running off the green. So, he took a wedge, trying to put some spin on it and make it stop, so that you know he could win close to the pin. And he ended up winning, uh, beating Nicholson by I don't know a couple feet, I guess. So I mean, it was it was really fun.
0: You didn't disqualify him for porch chipping. Tell him it's not porch putting, Rory. Come on. Have to, have to, you talk about another guy, young and naive? You see, he thinks he can change the rules. Yeah, um, that's so,
1: right. Well, we were we were we were a little naive <laughs> to that. I should have. I was in shock. <laughs> you said
0: we'd never seen that before. So. One thing about Oakmont, everybody hears this about Oakmont. I've heard it a lot. I'm I'm sure you've heard it a whole bunch, too. The golf course plays faster. The greens are quicker when it's non-U.S. Open weeks. And I wanted to ask you, is that honestly true? Is the golf course really tougher, in a sense, when the U.S. Open is not there?
1: Well, saying it's not. I mean, it's a a good story. We're sticking to it. We'll keep it going. (laughs) But uh, I'm saying what is true. What is true is that in the fall, You know, when the temperatures and the climate is the right conditions, you know, we have a SWAT party at the end of September, and if it's dry, you know, and it's clear, uh, the high sky, I mean, the greens get, I mean, you can't even stimp them, you know, they'd be 18 or 19 on the stimp meter, and they're they're unplayable, you know, you drop a ball on the back of the second green, it runs 40 yards down the way, so... (laughs) They get a little bit out of hand, and that that's kind of where the where that lore comes from that uh, you know they would never play u s open at those speeds
0: do, do the members truly like that? i mean is it is it a badge of honor in a sense to to play a golf course that's this difficult that that has this much history of being tough, or are there times where they're just exhausted from from continually getting beaten up by a golf course that never really lets up? <laughs> Shin, you sound exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played 18 holes there. That was I played 18 holes and I, I was know. exhausted.
1: It's pretty brutal. No, I, I would say that the culture here that, that you just become absorbed in is one of torture and pain. And, you know, you figure out on a day-to-day basis kind of how to get around and you have a comfort zone as to the score you shoot. But, you know, they want their friends and pals and family coming here and, and, and experiencing, you know, the pain that they've experienced. And they get a little bit of joy out of that, quite frankly. And, they, you know, if somebody came in here and shot 65 or 67, they, they wouldn't be happy. And the superintendent would hear about it. And uh, the next day, things would change. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're we're not into low scores here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're into maintaining, you know, quite frankly, the most difficult golf course in the world.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, you, you know what? It, it was funny. I mean, I'd heard so much about Oakmont before I got there, you know, before I got a chance to play it a, a month or so ago. And, of course, I've heard all the stories I mean it's really tough, it's difficult. The greens are so fast, and I almost feel like you forget that it's an amazing eighteen hole championship golf course that's unlike anything else in the United States so you know while you do look at it as a very difficult test of golf in the same sense, it's this unbelievable golf course that I really think is is the most unique I've ever played, so I understand why members would love it because they get to play it every day. you know it's not like it's not like it's too tough to enjoy. I think it's just tough enough to where you can have a good time playing a golf course that's going to test all your skills.
1: Oh, you're right, Shane. You know, the, the great thing about it, you know, in 07, uh, oh, I'm struggling to remember his name, but um, Paul from England. Paul shot Casey. 66, Paul Casey, I think. She shot 66 on Saturday. Windy conditions, hard and fast. I think Tiger shot 69. Might have been the only two scores under 70. And, uh, you know, back in 94, when it was, everybody remembers how hot it was when L's won Lauren Roberts shot 64 on Saturday, you know, in that heat. And when the greens were lit up, I mean, it was dry that week, they were hard and fast. So, you know, it's doable, which is, you know, I think justifies its existence. I mean, if everybody, if nobody could play the golf course, then something would be wrong, but it's playable and it's doable to shoot a good score here. And, uh, you know, Cabrera's 285. Shane was the highest uh, winning score in a U.S. Open here in with perfect weather, by the way, in over 50. You know, since 1935. So, you know, what happened? And and uh, Curtis Strange was asking me the other day, you know, what what happened and the the score was so high. And I said, well, Curtis, you know, we we took out all the backboards behind the hoop, which you know makes <laughs> it really hard to shoot hoops without a backboard. There's no trees behind all the greens now. And we brought the the fairway bunkers right up against the fairways and deepened them so that they're, they're penalties again. You know, I, I played in just a couple of majors, and and every major I ever played in, my playing partners when they hit a ball in the rough was always you know get in the bunker, get in the bunker. They're begging for the ball to get in the bunker. Well, they don't they don't beg at Oakmont for the ball to get in the bunker because you got to chip out as you as you experienced a little bit. You got to chip out of these bunkers so. It just got, you know, the driving zones got really hard, and then the green, you know, no backboard behind the greens. It just got really hard.
0: Of all the spots at Oakmont, which is the one that you have to and the USG has to monitor the most to make sure it doesn't, and as I guess the only way to put it it would be get out of hand? I mean, is there one spot in particular, because, you know, you think about Shinnecock and the par three and the green was so fast. Is there one spot you feel like really needs to be closely monitored throughout the week to make sure it doesn't get either too fast, too quick, or, or too tough to play?
1: Yeah, I, I would say twelve green would be the one I would be most concerned about. You know, it runs away from you, if kind of left to left to right and uh, front to back, and uh, you know, it, it can get it can get pretty tough. You know, where you just you know the ball gets on the green, just funnels. You know, if it's downwind, it just funnels off the back right. So they, they got to be pretty careful at number twelve.
0: That par five is so hard. I don't think people totally understand how hard <laughs> all of the shots are. The drives hard. The second shot, that was the thing that amazed me. That second shot, exactly. you have to hit it perfect. You have to hit it absolutely perfect, or you're either in the in in a ditch or in a bunker and in, in a right rough or left rough. It, it is an amazing par five. But yeah. what, what do you feel like is the biggest misconception about Oakmont that the public might have? People that that aren't obviously aren't members or don't come around much.
1: Well, you know that it's unplayable.
0: And, and
1: and like I said, it's 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 playable. It's playable if you play from the fairway. It's playable if you play the right positions on the greens. And like Jack Nicklaus did back in 62, uh, he had one three-putt in 90 holes. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Right. So, I mean, it's doable. It's not unplayable.
0: And uh, what's the craziest or funniest thing you've ever seen somebody do that was at Oakmont and just, I mean, almost as if they went on tilt, if you will, as a poker term. Have you ever seen anybody just – Lose it?
1: Well, I guess, I don't know. I think, you know, the craziest thing, I think Gary Player, you know, hit it on the first green. He putted it off the green, off the back of the green. He chipped it back on the green and three-putted. So, he, in, a, in essence, he four-putted and made seven. I mean, that that's the kind of thing that can happen here at Oakmont in a heartbeat.
0: And what's your career low at Oakmont? Because I know you've got a lot of game.
1: Well, I've had a lot of chances, Shane, so it's kind of unfair. I've probably played <laughs> 2,000 rounds here, and, and uh, I've shot 65 a bunch of times. and just could never get it under 65, which is it's just really hard, really hard to finish here.
0: And I'm assuming the word regret isn't in your vocabulary much. I mean, you, you've, you've been able to have a, a great career at Oakla- Oakmont and enjoy your time at Seminole as well. But you initially wanted to be a professional golfer, am I right?
1: I did. I tried the tour school four times. And uh, as I I say today, easy for me to say today, I was lucky I never made it. And uh, because I've really enjoyed my my career as a club professional, and it certainly wasn't my end game, but ended up being that. And and I, I certainly want no mulligan shame.
0: I can understand that for sure. And I can only imagine that you have a pretty impressive pegboard of golf courses that you've played. Is there any that's on your bucket list that you've yet to play?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. There are, because actually people are saying, you know, what are you going to do? I said, well, there's there's
0: some places I
1: haven't had the opportunity to play. I want to go to uh, the vineyards up in Martha's Vineyard. I want to go to Nantucket and I want to go to the Highlands of North Carolina and play, you know, Grandfather and Linville and Wade and those kind of courses. And and I'd like to go up to uh, Nova Scotia and play the new courses that uh, Crenshaw and Corps have done. So. I've got a few spots I'd like to go, and and I'd probably like to go spend some time in Europe and you know England and Scotland and Ireland, and you know spend a month traveling over there one of these years, so looking forward to some of that
0: and do you st- I mean you still love to play? It seems obviously like you do, but I mean, do you still love to get out and play?
1: Well, I love it, Shane, yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> wait to play tomorrow. We've got a big sWAT tomorrow. we got about eighty players our last day we can play the golf course, and uh you know my window is is uh closing in on me so i'm playing all the golf i can i love to play
0: and what's the best golf course outside of oakmont and i'll throw Seminole in there as well but what's the what's the best golf course in your opinion that you've ever played outside of those two
1: well you know like if i had one course to play again it would be pebble beach Uh, i just love love pebble beach love the monterey peninsula and the people and the whole atmosphere out there is extraordinary
0: all right i'm gonna ask you a few rapid fire questions and then i'll let you go but first one's first. You have eaten probably everything on the menu a few times over. If someone comes to Oakmont for the first time, you tell them to order what on the menu? Uh,
1: well, the crab disc to start and then the, the spots. So it's a light fish, a white fish. The spots here are magnificent.
0: Who's the most famous person you've ever played around a round of golf with?
1: <sighs> President George Bush.
0: W? w? The, the, the the second George Bush or first George Bush? 43. 43, okay. 43. I mean, a president's got to be the most famous. I would agree with you 100% on that. I, 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 would, I would guess, yeah. Uh, if you could tweak one thing about Oakmont, what would it be?
1: The governance model. I'd, I'd vote for a dictator. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if, the, if the course dedicated a drink to you, a la the Arnold Palmer, what would be in a Bob Ford?
1: Wow, it, it would be the Arnold Palmer That's all I ever drink is an Arnold Palmer I love it, I'm going trying to go see him on Saturday I, I hope uh, hope we can make it happen
0: Well Bob, I really appreciate it Thank you so much, and obviously Congratulations on on an amazing career I know you're excited for, for the U.S. Open to get going We are as well, and I can't wait to get out yeah. there So have some fun playing tomorrow I know it's going to be a a, a hoot out there at Oakland
1: Yeah, thanks Shane See you soon, thanks Bob